0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, another Saturday episode of Listener Questions. I'm doing seven again. It makes it two minutes or less per question, and try not to be superficial on it. Try to have some Sports Card Insights, but thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. The first question... Uh, was from Jim Powers, and he had a question before, and he's the guy that wants to know about my wall. And I I want to share about my wall. It's just I realized that there's only so much I can say without picturing it. Although if you're on my current episodes, I do a new panel for my uh, virtual wall. So if you're one of my guests, in fact, if you're interested in being a guest on the show, make a proposal of here's what I want to talk about, and and here's why I should be on the show. And so I've got some interesting guests coming up, but maybe that would include you. But he talks about picking the player first, which is exactly what I I do. Jim Powers, I pick the player first and then he says usually he picks the key card or the key rookie card. I really don't always I pick because I don't want to have all the same. For example, for I'm not Aaron and K-Line and Banks. I'm not going to pick all those 54 tops. I'm going to I'm going to Spread it out. I'm trying to have not too many from any one set. I have a different. I might have a 55 Bowman Banks, even though it's horizontal. It's second. and he likes his favorite card is the 72 tops Clemente. That gets my attention. Thank you, Jim. Uh, question two was from Chris Graphs 101, commenting about the ComC hacks episodes I had with Mike Summer that have now uh, been on. He's lamenting the fact that they're catching up on their shipping, but they're not completely caught up. And so he's wondering if the people they hire are card collectors, so they have an understanding of what cards are what and which ones are fake or not making mistakes of misidentifying cards. I haven't had fakes that I've seen on Com C. and But further, I had a conversation that's coming out pretty soon here with Kyle Johnson, marketing manager, and he mentioned that they're hiring so fast there. And yet most of the orientation, because we got into that, goes more smoothly because so many of the people they're hiring are card collectors. And I think partly that's because they're doing more remote employees. If you're only hiring from a concentrated geography of Seattle area, you might overfish the pool of collectors. But there's a lot of collectors that would like to work for a card company or work for a company in the industry. And from what I can tell, ComC would be a good place. So the fact that you don't have to move to work there. And Kyle was saying, yes, they're hiring collectors, and the collectors are really enjoying the work. So thanks for that. Question three was from Patrick Kelly. He's talking about completing a 71-Tops baseball set. This is actually a good question for Rich Klein. He says, but again, I was actually, I collected it in 71. He said, do you consider the 71-Tops baseball set complete from 1 to 752 with or without variations? Without variations, for sure. The variations in the 71 Topps baseball set fall into two categories. One are the, the, not blemishes, but there's some printing things that were perhaps a second printing where the image was cleaned up in some background stuff. And then I think there's some checklist variations. My feeling is if you were going to put a set of cards from 71 or one of the older sets plastic. The day variation with or without the, the stadium light coming out of his ear, I just don't know that would be enough of a, of a consideration to call my set incomplete because I don't have both of those variations. So I would say I'm looking at, at photo variations that are more substantial, p- different players, not minor printing flaws or, uh, or corrections like that. So I think it's interesting. You're certainly welcome to have a master set, but I, I don't know that there are many people that do that. Okay, question four from 5SKEP. From one Productions. Not sure. I didn't have a name here, but first question was about box bottoms and hand cut cards, which all box bottoms pretty much are. The four panels are, are cut into into uh, four. And I've hand cut some of them and scissors. Well, hand is scissors. I didn't cut it with my hand, but I cut it with scissors. Or I have a little paper cutter. And you got to be careful because if you cut one of them too much, you've damaged the one on the other side. So it's hard to cut right exactly on the black line, which sometimes separates. Said, how do you think they fit into the hobby now and in the future? I think they fit great. There's a hockey, they're Gretzky and Lemieux uh, box bottoms from the eighties that are tough and uh, all the sports had them in in that uh, time period. And then there've been some more recently too. I think they're cool. I'm glad that's there. Just be careful when you cut them. And consequently, it's hard to get them graded with a good grade. Next question, same guy, was his favorite sets is 1932 US Caramel, very under the radar. My thoughts on that set, that, I love that set. I don't have a complete set. I was working on that complete set when I got (laughs) <laughs> I started being a publisher and an author. And so I pull back from my collecting. They're pricey in the sense that they're hard to find. There's a U.S. Main, almost exclusively baseball, but not exclusively, but primarily baseball set that I think is just really elegant. And then there's, a, I believe, a presidential set too. Both of them have the distinction of having uh, tough to complete complete the set. The sixth question, talking about the recent price guide tools that he f- feels are focused mainly around basketball then a little bit less football and even a little bit vintage baseball, but not so much current baseball. And I think that basketball over the past year and a half has proven to be the most dynamic and responsive sport, football to some extent as well, that when something happens like on the weekend of football, somebody has a big game, stuff happens. And so having these data tools that are very looking at trends, looking at uh, movements, not static, but seeing where where prices, where where they've been and where they think they're going. Baseball is a, no offense, it's a slower sport, slower moving and the collectibles perhaps. And it takes a little bit longer sometimes for the uh, rookies and the prospects to prove themselves. Hockey, again, I just, unless there's these people that are producing these tools, hats off to them, but they're going to go where the most action is. And so hockey has, very uh, passionate collectors. But in hockey, they're probably following the sport and doing their own homework to know that the player has gone up because they're doing well on the ice. And baseball, same thing. If they're all of a sudden doing really well in A, then the big leagues are just uh, one step ahead. And finally, the seventh question was from the Card Porn guys coming from Instagram. And the question was, what are the top three things you wish never changed in the hobby and the top three things that you're happy did change in the hobby? I don't have time to answer that. I may answer that at some point in the future, but let me express it in a slightly different way that I haven't, that that does talk about the the evolution of the hobby and and, and three things. One is there are three tensions, the tensions between old and new cards, whether you should collect the new cards or the old cards. That tension has always been there. And it's not that it's changed or stayed the same, but it's evolved to where it is fine if you want to collect new cards. It's fine if you want to collect old cards. Back in the day, and again, this is a change, and I think it's positive, there was a very heavy emphasis on the old cards. If you were a serious collector, it was expected that you were going to work your way backwards. I'm talking about the 70s now. And so I think there's a little more balance now in the hobby. And, and in the spirit of the question, that's how it answered. The tension between old cards and new cards, it's a healthy tension. It's okay if you want to collect the brand new cards. It's fine if you want to collect the older, the better, and anything in between. The second tension that's always been there and that's been evolving is the tension between very expensive and very cheap cards and everything in between. Again, it's this is something that when I first got in, it was not there. There was the Wagner card, which was supposed to be a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred back in the early seventies. It wasn't millions of dollars. Even a thousand dollars for a card would be. I, I bought a Mickey Mantle fifty-two tops card back in the day for twenty-five bucks, and that had been the most I'd ever paid for a single card up to that point, and it wasn't in perfect shape. But again, there's such a glorification of the really expensive cards now. It's not a disturbing trend, but it's a noticeable trend. And again, the simpler days back in the 70s and maybe even the 80s, there wasn't quite the emphasis on only focusing on the expensive cards. People were proud of their collection, their complete sets, even though the complete set all totaled wasn't worth uh, that much money. But it was an accomplishment to complete a set or to or to display it and, uh, and people enjoy that. So that tension is there. I think the tension is increased in favor of an emphasis more on the more expensive cards. And I'm not happy. Uh, I think there needs to be uh, a balance to where the long tail is still appreciated. Maybe not getting every card, the million c- cubs <laughs> card project, something like that, that there's having a whole bunch of cards that have a theme that's still good, even if they're not that expensive. And then last is the tension and that has changed of the extreme emphasis on mint condition now, of even 9.5s, (laughs) or 9s are not good enough. 9.5, marginal, 10, and now we're finding out with grading the graders that uh, even 10s, not all 10s are created equal. So I think there's been a tension in the hobby that's been increasing over time. Uh, I I can say I wish it hadn't changed, but saying I wish it hadn't changed is not going to do any good because it has changed. There's a big emphasis on getting cards in the finest condition and having them uh, slabbed And if you merely have a good card and good in the sense of three, four, five, six in that intermediate range, I'm not talking about poor, but back in the day, a good card to complete your set was and was display worthy if it was rare. Again, the expensive cards used to be only based on rarity and now it's highly based on popularity. In other words, the cost of a card was way more supply side determined back in the 70s. And that was probably easier to get a handle on the price guides when I started doing that. But now supply is not as big a factor as the demand. When the demand gets way out of shape. Cards can go way up in, I don't want to say value or worth, but what they're selling for is way above what you would imagine based on the very large supply. So those are three things. Uh, thanks for the question. Those are tensions that remain to this day. Again, the exciting thing is even if I was happy that something stayed the same or didn't, I, I don't have control over there. And the fact that things evolve is is healthy. we got a great hobby. It's the greatest hobby in the world. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. So thanks and uh, be back again on Monday.